Chapter Fourteen. I flew back to New Jersey for my surgery. Barry immediately wanted me to see Hilda. She's healed so many people of cancer, he said, encouragingly. But the day after my return, I was hospitalized. The phone rang in my room before I had even finished changing into the hospital. Gown,、uh, changing into the hospital gown for the X-rays. <clears throat> It was Hilda. Don't worry about the thing, she said with levity. Cancer is my specialty. Two, three. I was no more worried now than I was at the moment I had first heard the word "you have cancer." Since that time, I had done some intensive soul searching, and I had concluded that death really was not a formidable treat to me. If I died, I died, and if I survived, I felt a deep inner sense that I could bring some good into the world and some insight into the lives of people. From Floundering in despair. Floundering in despair. I had witnessed the effects my lectures and seminars had on had on people. It was good. The shortcoming in my work as a teacher was my ego. I felt that if I lived, that it would no longer be a problem. The quiet days I had spent alone, before going into the hospital, had revealed so much. I was growing, evolving, into someone I could finally hold in high regard. <clears throat> Even though I could now see how conceited I had become, I didn't condemn myself. I simply realized. It was something I had to overcome if I wanted to grow. Ken had given me a method to observe how I was creating my reality and how I could change it. As I looked at myself, I realized I was overindulging in the third life requirements. For so many years, I had been starving for a sense of self-esteem. That once I had begun to experience it, my hunger for it was raven ravenous. The point was to achieve a balance, where along with self worth, I would also have humanity. <clears throat> As I lay in my hospital bed, I often thought of Hilda, whose life was a symbol of active compassion. Not only did she refuse to accept money for her teaching, and her weekly class often numbered eight hundred, she was also available twenty-four hours a day to anyone in need. It gradually began to dawn on me what the purpose of my own life really was. I figured that if twice I had elected to throw my life away. The one I now had 
really didn't belong to me. If I wanted to use it selfishly for my own personal gain or ego satisfaction, then suddenly it would be taken away. Intuitively, I knew that if in all security, I was willing to acknowledge that the life I now had belonged to humanity, that if I dedicated it to service and charity, it would not be taken from me. More than any time before, I had a sense of God within me. And despite what happened to be a very critical situation, I relaxed, let go, and let God. I didn't visualize God as a beard entity with any resemblance to a human being. Rather, I felt much as a nursing infant might feel when chaos and noise are bombarding his room in the midst of a war, guns, bombs, screaming everywhere, but through it all, the infant sucking his mother's breast knows only warmth, security, peace, and the feeling of being connected to the source, safe and protected. For me, God was an unseen breast that constantly nourished me. <clears throat> I had heard a story about a local judge whose son had committed murder. Before the trial, the judge's wife pleaded with him to remember that the boy on the trial was their son. But I'm the judge, rumbled the husband. But he's your son, reminded the wife. But I am the judge. The reply came again. But she, he is your son. The woman reiterated, I suppose that for many, God is like the father in this tale. But for me, I began to sense God as the mother, infinitely compassionate, never judging. I felt God as a warm, friendly, loving, feeling, car caressing me, forgiving and never threatening me. During my illness, I was infused with trust for the divine. I felt no trepidation over what could have easily been labeled as my past sins. After a day of extensive tests and x-rays, I was exhausted. The doctor entered my room in early evening and informed me the operation would take place the following day. I perceived that my cheerfulness disarmed him. My cheerfulness was only a reflection of the happiness I had finally discovered within myself. Someone can easily be content when everything around him is comfortable. Happiness, however, as I was now experiencing it, revealed itself as independent of outside circumstances. It really didn't matter to me what the outcome of the surgery was. I was able to watch it as if it were a soap opera. I was only casually interested in how the story would end. Getting more and more frustrated, my doctor explained that 
regardless of the extent to which the cancer had spread, he would have to remove my testicles. Hopefully, it had not yet spread to my lymph system. Nonetheless, my lower abdomen would be opened first so that the lymph channels could all be inspected and clumped prior to incising my scrotum. He placed the release form in front of me for my signature. Before I sign this, doctor, I have a question. When you remove my testicles, aren't you going to replace them with some sort of plastic substitute? I asked. You're referring to a prosthesis. Prosthesis. The, the doctor replied, no, this is a small hospital and we don't have that particular prosthesis. What about your supplier? I inquired. Surely you must have access to them. Usually we do, but this is a weekend and the surgical supplier is closed, he said unconvincingly. unconvincingly. Well, doctor, I began, let me explain something that you may find a bit difficult to understand. You see, I live in a commune and we are frequently naked around each other. I like the aesthetics of my body appearing whole. What I'm trying to say is that I'm more attached to the prosthesis than I am to my life at this point. So we'll just have to wait until Monday for the surgery. I pushed the, I pushed the unsigned release form back onto his side of the table. The doctor, visibly shaken by my uh, light-heartedness, tried to persuade me. Mr. Burkern, waiting two days could mean the difference between the cancer remaining localized or entering your lymph system. I don't think you understand. Doctor, I interrupted. I don't think you understand until I see the prosthesis. With my own eyes, I'm not signing the release. He <laughs> left the room, stimized. Within an hour, my phone rang. It was my mother. She had been called by my doctor and had been enlisted to aid him in his attempt to get my signature on the all-important paper that would release him from my from any responsibility if the operation failed. My mother pleaded, but I was adamant. Early the next morning, a young orderly entered my room with a razor. I'm here to prepare you for surgery, she said, introducing himself. Jokingly, I pointed to the razor. Are you going to cut off my balls? The quip made him laugh. No. I'm here to shave you and apply iodine to your skin. I think there is something in this misunderstanding. I began, I haven't signed a medical release. I heard about it. The orderly, orderly smiled. We've all heard about it. 
The doctor made some phone calls and found a hospital about 70 miles from here with a prosthesis. prosthesis. It arrived by ambulance any, time, any minute. The phone jangled, and Hilda's sweet voice was soon in my ear. Tolly, dear, you've all been praying for you. Now you must use the power of your own mind. Every particle and atom of this universe is connected. The greatest force which exists is available to you right now through thought. Use your mind to rearrange the atoms in your body. Rearrange my atoms? How do I do that? I asked. Just pretend that you're rearranging your atoms with your imagination. Use your mind to visualize yourself healthy and whole. Start imagining that all cancerous growth is diminishing, 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 becoming a mere nothing, leaving your body forever. Your atoms will rearrange themselves, vibrate the inner tissues of your body. By chanting, by chanting the word OM, let the sound resonate inside you. Turn that tumor into water and eliminate it through your kidney. Rearrange your arms, she repeated. The orderly finished his work and I filled my entire Abdominal, abdominal cavity with breath. Om, I intoned, allowing the buzz of the sound to resonate in my body. Om, even though there was doubt in my mind that such a simple process could have the profound results, Hilda promised. I focused, I focused my imagination and actually began to visualize my atoms rearranging themselves. My mother and father entered the room just as I stopped oming and was opening my eyes. Did you sign the paper my father implored? I won't sign it until I see the prosthesis. I said, not wanting to distress him but not knowing how to avoid it. A stretcher was wheeled beside my bed, and I asked if it wasn't premature, since no release form had been signed. The nurse told me that both the prosthesis and the papers would arrive at the operating room about the same time as I would, and I was whisked away in a bustle of starched white uniform. <clears throat> When I arrived at the operating room, my doctor and his surgical team were waiting me in hospital green. A small box was placed under my nose and the doctor proudly announced the processes. Processes. I looked into the box and saw two rubbery eggs not much larger than oversized jelly beans. Oh no, doctor. I shouted. 
These won't do. They're the wrong size. <laughs> the doctor became fl florid while his team struggled to suppress their smiles. Mr. Birkin, he said, trying to maintain his composure, there will be tissue built up, I assure you. No one will ever notice. Please sign the paper. I did so and was promptly anesthetized back into asparagus. Oh, was on my lips as I faded away. Several hours later, I opened my eyes. An incision had been made in my abdomen and my scrotum. I will simply report the facts of what transpired that Sunday, uh, Saturday morning in 1974, when the surgeons peaked and poked inside the tumor that had clearly been observed on x-rays and had orchestrated the entire melodrama was nowhere to be found. Furthermore, the incisions made on Saturday were completely healed by the following Tuesday. And on Friday, I celebrated by going mountain climbing. The rubbery eggs never left their cardboard nest. Within two weeks, I was back in California. The doctor who had first diagnosed my condition and who was in charge of my prostorative care simply congratulated me on my spontaneous remission. I was surprised that he wasn't more surprised, but he explained that there were many, many documents, cases, documented cases very similar to mine. I wondered how many of these other people attributed their healing to connecting with the source through their own mind.